This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit, in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest, and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations and 50 affiliate stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lott and Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sodorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest hosts and presenters, the former governor of Mississippi, Phil Bryant, and the Honorable Morris McTeague, QSO. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. Welcome to America's Roundtable. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we're honored and delighted to welcome to this program Dr. Steve Hankey. Dr. Steve Hankey is a leading world expert on currency boards, measuring and stopping hyperinflation, privatization, currency, and commodity trading, water resource economics, and other key topics. Dr. Steve Hankey is a professor of applied economics and founder and co-director of the Institute for Applied Economics, Global Health, and the Study of Business Enterprise at the Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. As a senior economist on President Reagan's Council of Economic Advisors, he led a team of economists in rewriting the federal government's principles and guidelines for water and land-related resources implementation studies. In addition, he was responsible for designing President Reagan's major privatization initiatives. Dr. Hankey has held senior appointments in the governments of many countries, including Albania, Kazakhstan, the United Arab Emirates, and the former Yugoslavia. He played an important role in establishing a new currency regimes in Argentina, Estonia, Bulgaria, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Ecuador, Lithuania, and Montenegro. He is the director of the Troubled Currencies Project at the Cato Institute and a senior fellow at Cato's Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives. Dr. Hanke, on behalf of America's Roundtable and our listeners in the Midwest and the South, we warmly welcome you to America's Roundtable. Good morning, sir. Welcome, Dr. Hanke. Good morning, Natasha and Joel. Good to be with you. Uh, Dr. Hanke, uh, when we spoke last time in July this past year, the June's inflation index jumped by 5.4% from the year before. And in our conversation, you predicted that the inflation rate would be between 6 and 9% by the year end. Yesterday, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics reported that the inflation rate increased by 6.8% in November from the year before, which is the highest inflation in 39 years. Consumer prices increased by 0.8% from the previous month. And let me again quote Milton Friedman, a monetarist and Nobel laureate in economics, who described the cause of inflation in the simplest term when he said, Inflation is caused by too much money chasing after too few goods. Dr. Hanke, what is your message to the Fed? The first message is a grade that I would give them would be F, failure. This is one of the biggest policy failures we've seen from the Fed since World War II. So it's, it's a very unusual, if not catastrophic, mistake. We have a governor, I should say a chairman of the Fed, as well as the governors of the Fed, but the chairman of the Fed, Jerome Powell, stated in February that the money supply really didn't have anything to do with the economy or inflation. Now, this is an, an almost an insane statement from the governor or chairman of any central bank any place in the world. Money 
is the cause of the inflation problem. As Milton Friedman did say in another context, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. That means the money supply, if it increases too much and if there's an excess amount of money in the economy, you're going to have more inflation. And everybody in the Midwest, I mean, I grew up in a farm in Iowa, and everyone knows exactly what causes inflation. Too much money, chasing too few goods. So that's where we're at. The interesting thing is that the press, in, in trying to protect President Biden, they've ignored the money supply. They never mention the word money as a cause of inflation. You get all kinds of things supply chain disruptions, problems getting semiconductors, jam ups at the port of Long Beach. They have a lot of ad hoc, ridiculous notions about what's causing inflation. There is only one thing that always causes inflation, too much money, chasing too few goods. And the money supply has increased in the United States, thanks to the Fed, since COVID in March of 2020 by about 37%. It's, it's the largest increase we've ever had since World War II. And it takes, by the way, after these surges in the money supply, it takes about 24 months, about two years before that starts feeding through to inflation. So it's just starting to feed through. So th this thing is not going away. We're going to continue to have these high inflation numbers of 6% or more and, until we get into 2024. And, there, and there's nothing that can be done about it. The excess money is already in the bathtub and it's starting to go out the overflow drain. And the overflow drain is the inflation drain. So that's the end of that story. And we've got Biden's people now, his economists are running around strong-arming the editorial boards of all the newspapers in the United States, as well as television and all the media, feeding them garbage, just rubbish. They're, they're saying as soon as COVID goes away, COVID's causing the inflation. Everyone's causing the inflation, but, but the real cause is all centered at the Fed. And Jerome Powell, who was the chairman when COVID started, has been tabbed to be reappointed by Biden for a second term. I mean, the guy completely fails. He's, uh, I would think, incompetent, and he's being reappointed. His reward for incompetence is to get reappointed. It, it's like, what if you went to school and, and you had Fs on your report card, uh, and they were filled with Fs, and the principal of the school rewarded you at the end of the day by giving you a diploma? That's what's happening. This past week, the Federal Reserve announced that they will follow through with a faster reduction of asset purchase. The Federal Reserve has been pumping money into the economy by buying back government bonds. And this just announced speeding up the pace of the central bank's bond buying program to end up by May 2022 would open the door for the Fed to raise interest rate in the springtime of 2022. Dr. Hanke, could you kindly analyze for us what would be the positive and negative impacts of the increased interest rate on inflation, economy, and employment? It isn't going to do anything with inflation. It's the money supply, not the interest rate that matters. It's all about the money supply. And the money supply 
is still growing, by the way, at, at over 12% per year. And that is a rate that's about twice what it should be if they wanted to hit their inflation target. They should be growing the money supply at about 6% a year if they want to hit the inflation target at 2%. They're growing it right now at, at over 12%. And even if they stop growing it, stop, go to, go to zero, it's, it's not going to change the excess money that's already in the bathtub and will be flowing into the economy for the next few years. So, in fact, they've just got us in a pickle. And, and there's, there's nothing that can be done immediately, immediately to stop the inflation. They are using the interest rate tool, which is a, is, is a very bad way to handle the problem. And, and that will cause, by the way, all kinds of disruptions in the, in the financial markets. And by the way, if you're planning on buying a house, you're, you're going to have to pay higher interest rates. That's a problem. That disrupts the housing market right away. And, and obviously the value of houses, mm. your credit card, what are you going to do? Your credit card, you're going to go, your interest rates are going up on your credit card. So in, interest rates will go up, by the way. They'll go up because the Fed is engineering them to go up, but they also will go up naturally because interest rates follow inflation. If inflation goes up, interest rates go up eventually. So we're re really in a, in a pickle here. There, there's, there's, not, there's no way out. When you look at uh, our current state of economy, uh, we have the highest inflation, obviously, in 39 years at 6.8%. The current U.S. national debt is at $29 trillion, which is $87,000 per citizen and $230,000 per taxpayer. U.S. budget deficit is at $2.8 trillion, and the U.S. economy grew at just 2% in the third quarter this year. And yet... One trillion dollar infrastructure bill was signed into law, which will, according to the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, widen the budget deficit by two hundred fifty-six billion dollars over ten years. And a two trillion dollar climate and social spending bill, also known as Build Back Better bill, is on the verge of being approved and would add three hundred sixty-seven billion dollars to the deficit over ten years, according to the Congressional Budget Office. Now. Pelosi and Senator Schumer are pushing for it to be passed before Christmas, while Democrat Senator Manchin of West Virginia has been warning all the way about the bill's potential effects on rising inflation when he said, the unknown we are facing today is much greater than this aspiration bill, unquote. Uh, Dr. Hanke, what are your thoughts about this spending spree at a time when we experience record high inflation unsustainable national debt, and federal deficit combined with low economic growth. I just uh, did a tweet, actually, a few minutes ago that will be up shortly, and that is Fannie Mae did a, their monthly national housing survey for November just came out, and, and they found that 70% of all Americans believe the economy is on the wrong track. That summarizes, you just gave a laundry list of disastrous things, and Americans are not stupid. They know what you've just listed there is a list of potential problems. So that's why 70% of the people in this survey said they think the economy is on the wrong track. Well, I, 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 think, I think 100%. 
that we're on the wrong track. We, we've got economic madness going on. And if we don't turn it around, we're going to be back in the, the good old 1970s when we had stagflation. You're too young to remember that, Natasha, but, but I can tell you it wasn't fun. The economy was not growing. Unemployment was very high. Inflation was very high. The so-called misery index, unemployment plus inflation, was a very high, almost a record number post-World War II occurred in, in the 1970s. That wasn't that long ago. So what happened? They finally got rid of Jimmy Carter, who was the president at the time, at, at the worst aspect of the thing, and they voted in Reagan. And, of course, I know all about that because I was on Reagan's Council of Economic Advisors. We turned the thing around, and Paul Volcker was, was at the Federal Reserve, and Paul Volcker was a monetarist. He followed the quantity theory of money, the thing that we talked about earlier in the program, the thing that no press wants to report on. They don't even mention the word money in the press. How in the world can you be reporting on inflation and never mention money? It's, again, total incompetence on the part not only of the Fed, but how about the journalists writing about this? They, they don't have enough sense to even look into it. And you know that it isn't a deep, dark secret. I mean, John Greenwood, have, and I have written about this in the Wall Street Journal repeatedly. So all you have to do is read the Wall Street Journal. We have the numbers in there. It isn't us looking at a crystal ball. It's us running the numbers and the quantity theory of money and the equation of exchange, MV. Money times velocity equals P, the price index, times Y, which is real economic growth. I mean, this, this equation of exchange has been around since the 16th century. And anyone who knows anything about economics and money and banking knows the equation of exchange. They, they might not know the details of how to work the thing, but it's, it's not that difficult, actually. Right. And just uh, one more question uh, regarding economy. You mentioned uh, Powell. Obviously, there are even further pushes, like who is going to be appointed, if not Powell. When you listen to uh, Senator Warren and uh, some other Democrats that are strongly opposing Mr. Powell for another reason, uh, they actually insist that central banks should be run by someone who will push for tougher bank regulations and policies that help address climate change. I mean, climate change in the Fed. So, so looking at all that, who would be your preferred candidate for the Fed? Well, I, I haven't given that really much thought because President Biden is the president and he will be making the appointments. The Democrats will control this. I'll tell you who I'd like to see reappointed. We, we could resurrect Milton Friedman, who's been unfortunately long gone, bring him back from the grave and, and put him in there. And if we didn't like that, how about Paul Volcker? Bring him back. But you see that this is the thing with the press. You have people like Friedman and Volcker. They, they unfortunately have met the grim, grim reaper and aren't with us anymore. But their ideas are, their ideas are. And, and that's what the press wants to put a, a stake in the heart of those ideas. That That's what they're really doing. And they do it by not reporting on it, not reporting. You, you do not see Milton Friedman's name or Paul Volcker's popping up in this conversation. And the reason why is because of the ideas that they carry. They, 
they don't want these ideas circulating because they, they would put a lot of cold water on all the economic madness going on in Washington, D.C. right now. That's, that's why. The press is basically in, in bed with the administration. The press are, are apologists for the administration. So whatever you read, you have to remember Hankey's 95% rule. 95% of what you read in the press is either wrong or irrelevant. And just this addressing a climate change to the Fed? This is so far out in the weeds, Natasha. Now we've got central banks worried about... They're supposed to be worried about inflation primarily. Now, with the Employment Act of 1946, they have to be worried about employment also and unemployment. So they they have legally two things that they're supposed to be watching out after, which are both economic things. But, But now we're getting into climate change, gender issues, everything under the sun. They want the Fed to do something about it. And supply chain. The Fed's supposed to be doing something about supply chain. The Fed has no way to do anything about supply chain problems. Right. It's absurd, right? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Totally absurdity. Yeah, it is absurd. What's the Fed supposed to be doing about speeding up the unloading of ships in Long Beach? Right. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> No doubt. Well, Dr. Hanke, this past week, the casket carrying former Senator Bob Dole, the senator from Kansas, former presidential candidate and celebrated war veteran, arrived in Washington, D.C. to lie in state at the Capitol building. Senator Dole was part of what we have come to call and realize the greatest generation. As young people some 80 years ago embraced the call and mission to serve their nation, defeat tyranny, and advance freedom during the Second World War. And Dr. Hankey, you first met Senator Bob Dole on Capitol Hill when you were senior advisor to the Senate's Joint Economic Committee from 1984 to 1986. And during that period, through your close association with Senator Steve Sims from Idaho, he introduced you to Bob Dole. And in a piece titled Remembrances of Senator Bob Dole and a Russia Story published in the National Review this past week, you shared that while he was juggling a thousand balls at once, Bob Dole would hear you out loud and clear and that his support was invaluable. That reflected Bob Dole's leadership. You also spent a great deal of time trying to beat back objections to a currency board coming from certain elements within the International Monetary funds management. And you stated in the piece that their argument was that the IMF couldn't approve a Russian currency board because the U.S. Congress would be opposed to it. And from your piece in the National Review, I quote very briefly, to counter this argument, I worked with Senators Dole, Simpson, and Phil Graham to draft legislation that would allow countries to use part of the United States quota contribution to the IMF for the establishment of currency boards. You later go on to say that Sims and I immediately repaired to Dole's office to congratulate and thank him, whereupon he smiled and said, no problem, let's just call it the Hanky Amendment. As it turned out, the amendment was a game changer. Indeed, it squashed the IMF's currency board objections, unquote. In this very brief two-part question, Dr. Hanke, what were your impressions of Senator Dole from your remembrances of his leadership? And secondly, could you share very briefly about the work that was being undertaken to encourage countries to consider currency boards, and what is the current state of this noble initiative? Dole, uh, since, since you're broadcasting in the Midwest, everyone in the Midwest knows Dole was from Kansas. Of course, they don't know who I am, and 
they obviously don't know that I'm from Iowa. So uh, you got two country boys, one from Iowa and one from Kansas. So we, we hit it off right away. Dole was, was the kind of guy that he, he was comfortable in his skin and didn't really take himself too seriously. That's the impression you got. So it was a pretty couple of country boys talking to each other and getting things done in a hurry. And that's that's how that amendment uh, rolled through, because he had to maneuver around and offer that amendment from the floor of the U.S. Senate. So take some somebody with something between their ears to figure out how to do that, and get it done. So Dole did it. As far as the currency boards go, it, it was a great run that we had during the early 1990s because we put a currency board in Estonia in 1992. That, that was the same year that that amendment passed, uh, the so-called Hanke Amendment. And remember, at that time in June 1992, what was the currency in the newly independent Estonia? The currency was the, the Soviet ruble. They still had the they still had the ruble, so we got rid of the ruble. We replaced it with a kroon with a currency board. Now, how that works, so your listeners understand what a currency board is. That we issued the kroon. The kroon was backed 100 percent with Deutschmark German mark reserves, and it traded at a fixed exchange rate with the German mark. The kroon did. So the kroon was like a clone of the German mark. It was good. It was as good as a German mark. If you didn't like your kroon, you take it in and exchange it at the fixed exchange rate for a German mark, and you knew you would get a German mark because they had 100% reserves backing the kroon issuance up. So we did that in Estonia in 1992. Then I did it in uh, Lithuania, uh, another Baltic state, in 94, then in 97, Bulgaria. Uh, which was, you know, former communist country. And, and also in 97, we did it in Bosnia-Herzegovina, which was part of the old Yugoslavia. So these systems work very well because they put what's called a hard budget constraint in the economy. And that is the fiscal authorities, the government can't go to the central bank and get a loan from the currency board. The only way you can get money from a currency board is to take in a hard anchor currency money and exchange it at the fixed exchange rate to get the local money. It puts the the politicians in kind of a fiscal straitjacket, shall we say. And, and it's worked beautifully. Estonia has the lowest debt to GDP ratio of any country in the European Union. Bulgaria has the second lowest. Bulgaria, of all things, has the second lowest. You still have in Bosnia Herzegovina. That's that's about the only thing that works there. So right. And so so would that be similar to a gold standard that we've had? It's exact. The mechanics are Natasha exactly like the gold standard. The only difference is that with the currency board now we we don't have gold backing up the, these currency boards. We had the German mark, we have the US dollar, the euro. The the euro is the thing that backs up the currency boards that exist in Bosnia, Herzegovina and Bulgaria right now. So but the mechanics of how they work is exactly the same as a gold standard. 
And during this uh, time of wrapping up our program with you, Dr. Hankey, during this pandemic, we have witnessed how certain bureaucrats and elected officials seized the commanding heights and began issuing directives and mandates, such as seen in California, Michigan, and New York, as well as other states. The message has been confusing at times and incoherent, I must say. Uh, medical professions, including Dr. Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford University and his colleagues, have questioned the manner in which government entities introduce strict lockdowns and punitive measures on individuals and private enterprises. The top-down approach of forcing certain mandates, as we've seen, is backfiring in countries around the world, from Australia and New Zealand in the South Pacific region to Europe's capitals and major cities across the continent. Citizens are protesting, and some very violently, against the government mandates on the vaccine. And from your observations, Dr. Hankey, and from what you are gathering through your research, what should be the best approach in addressing the pandemic, which is actually now moving into the endemic phase in the Western world and beyond? Let me just focus on the lockdown kind of approach. I'm not making any remarks about vaccine mandates or anything like that. They're, they're kind of, they're related, but separate. Let's just talk about lockdowns. When COVID started, there, there was only one country that had a laissez-faire approach to the pandemic, and that was Sweden. And, and Sweden, Lars Yoning and I wrote about this. People can go back and, uh, you know, I can't remember the date, but it's in the Wall Street Journal, Lars Yoning and Steve Hankey. We wrote about this. And, and, and the reason they had the laissez-faire approach with no lockdowns, none, none of these mandates or anything in Sweden, is the Constitution. The Constitution is a 16th century Constitution, and, and liberty was explicitly injected in that constitution and Swedes were guaranteed the right of freedom of movement, liberty of movement. So it would have been unconstitutional to have a lockdown to say you can't move around <laughs> and you've got to be locked down in any form. So that that's why they did it. It turns out that they were hammered in the press. The, the press, all of the public health people the, the, you know, fascist in the press, the authoritarians, if you want to call them, whatever, the lockdowners all came after Sweden. And that was a disaster. It was going to be catastrophic and so forth. Well, as it turns out, if you look at the cases of COVID, it, it's flatlined in Sweden. Sweden's done better than any of the other European countries with regard to COVID because they have had this anti, this anti-lockdown. People have their liberty and, and they are advised to do things. They're advised to socially distance and this, that, and the other thing in Sweden. But they're not ordered to do it by the state. There is no lockdown. There's never been a lockdown in Sweden. So you look at the statistics, you go to the Johns Hopkins University, which is a, the premier medical school and medical center in the world, and Johns Hopkins keeps all these data. You, you can easily go to, go to the website and find out the cases every, every place in the world on a real-time daily basis. And you look at Sweden, and, and the number of cases is just down at the floor, very, very low. Every place else, look at Holland, you look at Belgium, you look at France. Germany is skyrocketing now, the cases in Germany. All these places, 
But where's the press? The press is not reporting this. The press will, will not report these terrific results from the only no lockdown country in the world, Sweden. We actually compared the, the data of Sweden with Michigan, which have similar population size and the similar climate. And we realized that with strict lockdowns in Michigan and no lockdowns in Sweden, Michigan had higher death rate than Sweden, which was amazing. Well, now that is an interesting comparison. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I haven't looked at that. I'm gonna, uh, I'll, as soon as we hang up, I'll look at it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, indeed. Dr. Steve Hankey, we truly appreciate you joining us on America's Roundtable. Dr. Steve Hankey is a leading world expert on currency boards, measuring and stopping hyperinflation, privatization, currency and commodity trading, water resource economics, and other key topics. Dr. Hankey is a professor of applied economics and founder and co-director of the Institute for Applied Economics, Global Health, and the study of business enterprise at the Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore and a senior fellow at Cato Institute. We would encourage our listeners in the Midwest and the South to go to your search engines and uh, check out Dr. Steve Hankey's writings in the Wall Street Journal and other great locations that communicate truth. And we certainly appreciate you joining us on America's Roundtable, sir. Thank you very much, Dr. Hankey. Thank you, Dr. Hankey. Good to be with you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, sir. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lanza Broadcasting's two FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations and 50 affiliate stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Laden Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sodorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest hosts and presenters, the former governor of Mississippi, Phil Bryant, and the Honorable Morris McTeague, QSO. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org.